Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and on this week's show I'm chatting with Adam Ladd to discover how to design and launch a typeface. But before we jump into the interview I want to thank FreshBooks who have kindly sponsored this season of the Logo Geek podcast. FreshBooks is a cloud-based accounting software that's been designed for creative professionals like you. It allows you to create customize and send branded and professional looking invoices in about 30 seconds and on top of that you can also get paid much faster too since your clients can pay directly from those invoices. It's a beautifully designed accounting software that's well worth checking out for yourself and you can do that with a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek, making sure to enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. So as mentioned this week, I'm interviewing Adam Ladd, who now specializes in type design. I've actually known Adam for quite a few years now and the last time we actually spoke he was working as creative director for How Magazine and um, yeah it's been a while since we spoke so when I recently had a look at his website I was uh, really amazed to see that he's now designed a whole load of fonts and he's actually been able to make it his full-time venture. And since a key element of logo design is working with fonts, I was really keen to uh, find out from him not only how he was able to make that transition, but also how he goes about designing typefaces, the tools and software he uses, and how he then goes about launching and licensing the font too. In this interview, we actually share a whole load of great resources and books. So make sure you check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find at logogeek.uk forward slash 6.3. Just before we jump into the interview, unfortunately, the, the audio quality of this episode isn't the best, but I've done what I can to clean it up. But it's an incredibly insightful discussion, so I hope you will still enjoy it regardless. So to talk about his journey to becoming a full-time type designer and to share loads of incredible insights into designing a typeface of your own, here is the interview with Adam Ladd. I think the last time we spoke properly was when you was working at How Magazine as the creator director. Uh, but recently, I noticed that you've been working um, a lot more on type design. That's quite the, the transition in that time. How did you get into focusing on type design? Yeah, so you're correct. The last time we kind of talked was as the art director for HAL. So it was art director for HAL magazine. And also it, that morphed into uh, print magazine as well. So it was art director slash designer, meaning I helped kind of work with contributors on the design and illustration side and photography side. Um, but then I also did the layout and um, prepping for production on the magazines, as, as well as the uh, standard uh, brand materials that come along with supporting the brand. So it was an art director and designer position um, and during that time as is the case with most graphic designers um, you're working a ton with type all the time especially being involved in magazines uh, and publications um, I had to get more interested and more involved uh, so the time I spent there was about four years I think and it took me deeper than I had been um, into type uh, in previous years and previous positions. I started as a professional around 2003, um, had different jobs on and off, some contracting, some freelance, some full-time employee spots. Uh, and then this was the most recent full-time position at the magazines. And it was pretty much in design all of the time. Um, I used a little bit of Illustrator and Photoshop, but I was just doing layouts continually. And so I needed to learn templates. I needed to learn um, paragraph and character styles. Uh, and then as far as 
aesthetics, um, I needed to go deeper in my understanding and experimenting with type and headlines versus subheads versus body copy versus call outs and quotes and caption text uh, and just all the different nuances that go into making something legible uh, and have a proper hierarchy. So I'd always enjoyed typefaces and fonts and letter forms just as a designer, but that period um, kind of forced me to take a deeper look and I found myself uh, during some free time uh, sketching letter forms, uh, in particular lowercase a. Uh, I just found myself with a pen and paper uh, at work during some kind of gaps in the time or um, just if I was stuck on something, uh, I would sketch different types of lowercase a's and just practice it and figure out what made it work, what didn't work. Um, and that, that kind of kicked it off. Uh, I had dabbled with a few hobby fonts, um, I'd call them in 2013. And I put some of those out into the market. Uh, and they were, you know, they were hobbyist type of quality. Um, I didn't fully understand what I was doing, but they were good enough to, to put them out there and, and see what happened. Um, but that was always on the side. And then, uh, I continued to work full-time positions and, um, eventually this shifted into, um, doing the type design more, more focused and more full-time. Um, and that came through a series of events, which we can get into here shortly too, but, um, that's kind of where things grew for me. Yeah. I can, I can totally appreciate how, you know, when you're working with typography day in, day out, you can get, uh, really interested in working, uh, with specific letters. I know even working on, uh, logo design frequently is, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's quite frequent that I heavily modify an existing typeface and uh, whilst the the topic of uh, this podcast is logo design because type design is closely related I thought it would be an interesting topic to um, go into if if you're happy to so I mean just for clarification I here today are you full-time working on type typefaces yes I am Um, so that is my full-time focus and full-time income um, is typefaces and fonts. I've kind of used that interchangeably and I think most people do. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll probably call it fonts most of the time here, but um, yeah, I'm making fonts, drawing fonts, um, marketing and selling fonts pretty much full-time. I'll do the occasional graphic design uh, freelance project kind of in some gaps, uh, but the bulk of time is me sitting down, thinking of something new or different and uh, producing it and putting it out into the market and then kind of starting over again. So mm. can I, can we briefly um, talk about the transition phase of how you went from um, working full-time position at how to, you know, get into a point where you could, work on this on a full-time basis Mm -hmm. because i understand creating a typeface is a lot of work uh i've known people to spend years on just one typeface and uh or one font and and lots Mm. of uh people being involved in them there's there's a lot of work Mm. and it's it's a lot of time and uh um you know financially you need to be covered and most people uh, or most graphic designers anyway that that do work for a company that the, the primary reason is because they need an income and working right. for another company it's a it's a it's a reliable income so how did you transition from a reliable uh income from a company to being able to work exclusively on typefaces yeah i think your assessment is is good um with that because before I started doing this full time, I had the same uh, impression as far as how that all operated and what I knew about the field is it was very involved, very time consuming. And um, 
like you said, it can take, in some cases, years for someone to uh, actually go from start to finish and get something into the market. Um, I tried to find a middle ground, and, and again, we'll, we'll maybe go into that more when we talk about process. But uh, for me, um, it actually wasn't by choice. <laughs> the transition from my last position with the magazines to this uh, was just a change in direction. Um, the job ended, so I was no longer with the company, no longer employed. And during that time, prior to that ending, I had dabbled more beyond hobby uh, level into creating the typeface or font. Um, I didn't really know what was going to become of it. Uh, and that, just for reference, was a Cheddar Gothic font family. It was a hand-drawn, uh, condensed, all-caps um, Gothic typeface. So it had that standard uh, sans-serif look um, that you would see, but with the hand-drawn quality and the rough edges. And it had a serif version, a slab version, a sans version, and a stencil version. And it kind of was somewhat of a low risk for me because I did really didn't expect what was to come uh, from it. So I wasn't banking on this being successful or not. It was more, um, I was still working full time uh, in those positions and I felt a prompting to get started on fonts again. And I just leaned into it and played around with this, some ideas and this Cheddar Gothic came forward. And I don't know how long I spent, it was maybe a month or two um, working it out. And it could have been a little bit longer trying to get it out into the market, but there was a lot of trial and error because it was more involved than I had done before. But when I put it out there, it um, actually started to sell. And that's, to be honest, it surprised me. Uh, it was a pleasant surprise for sure, but I wasn't, again, banking on shifting into type design or needing it to be my income. But it opened up a new door and it continued to sell over that next kind of introductory period over those first couple months. Um, and I looked at it and realized that, okay, there's maybe more to this. And all during that time while Cheddar Gothic was happening, the position that I was in was coming to a close. And I actually ended up having to um, look for unemployment. Uh, so it was a tough time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, we didn't know what the next step were. Uh, next steps were as a family. I'm married. I have um, my wife and I have two daughters. Uh, and I was searching for unemployment and I was applying other places and nothing was opening. Uh, but all the while, this was growing on the side. Um, thankfully, we had family that we were able to stay with during that time. So it was just a tough stretch, but it was also an encouraging time because we knew something was kind of brewing in the background and a uh, few, few more months passed and Shatter Gothic continued to sell well. And I had people reaching out about it um, with more interest. And so I started working on more typefaces and that was slow going at first and they didn't sell as well as Shatter Gothic did. And so it was kind of discouraging at the same time. Um, like, is this sustainable? Is it doable or not? Uh, so we, it was a blessing in the sense that we had family to help us in that, um, gap with income. So we were making income, but it wasn't sustainable income. Um, and it took six, nine months, uh, before it really started to turn the corner and the growth was at a place that, uh, the income was enough to say, um, Maybe I can stop the searching for other things and just fully focus on type because uh, we were we were getting to getting to where it was leveling out and we could um, 
actually live off of what was coming in. That's not the case uh, all the time. And like you said, um, how sustainable that is, is tricky because if a font takes multiple months to years to produce, um, that's a lot of in-between time. And you're just kind of riding out one release at a time for quite a while, hoping it does well. Uh, I tried to fill it with a few typefaces and families during that stretch um, to see how they did. And so just building the library out slowly and, uh, and it, it got to the place where it was enough. Yeah. I, I'm glad to hear that it all worked out at the end. Um, I, I'm yeah. sorry to hear what happened with how um, I am aware that all of their sites have actually gone down now as well. So I know the company mm-hmm. has been struggling um but yeah it's awesome news that that first you know considering that uh that first uh, typeface was successful in the end was was fortunate because that pretty much steered your your direction um you know if that wasn't the case things would probably be quite different for you here today you could be doing something completely different right you're right yeah um so i mean since then how many how many typefaces have you worked on because looking on your website um, I know I was quite surprised because, like I said, the the last time we properly spoke was um, a couple of years back when you was yeah. working at Howe, but now you seem to have quite a few. How, how many have you done since uh, since that first uh, successful font that you worked on? Yeah, I appreciate the um, kind words as well. And I think during this time, it's, so that was around 2016, 2017, that I started on Cherry Gothic and things ended with... Uh, with the position, um, I, I'd have to look, but I, I'm guessing 20 to 30 families. Wow. Maybe. Wow. And have you done all of the work on those? Is it all your, your work or have you involved other people? Yeah. Um, essentially it has all been me. Um, and I don't say fully me because I reached out to quite a few people in the beginning when I was trying to invest more as as making this professional um to some folks that uh, were in the type industry already just asking for advice and needing help with technical things with software and production items um that was uh ryan martinson of yellow design studio and uh laura worthington of laura worthington i think it's just laura i think she just goes by her name or laura worthington type um, both really talented designers and I connected with them a little bit and uh, they spent um, a generous amount of time and just helping me with, like I said, the technical questions and settings and um, features and figuring out some of the software things and just getting stuff into the market uh, when I would hit blocks. So I was grateful to them for that time. But as far as producing it, um, yeah, it was just been me as an independent yeah. foundry. It's, it's impressive. And um, Thank you. I mean, thinking about the, the long-term benefits of that as well, um, I know as graphic designers, I personally, most of what I've done in my career, pretty much everything that I've done in my career have been one-off job. Um, but I think when you work on something mm-hmm. like a font, um, because of the way that it's, like it's licensed you could be making money off these for the rest of your life um so right. you know it's, it's not guaranteed like no no sales of a, a typeface are guaranteed you know you could spend you could spend an entire year on something and it never sells so it is a, a, a risky thing to work on but the the fact that you've been able to do 30 in that time yeah. is is impressive yeah no you're right about that it, there is a risk for sure and um i uh, during this time, I picked kind of a pivot point to where my style changed a little bit, or at least what I was spending time on. But, um, and again, your assessment with it taking uh, many months to years is accurate still. Um, and as I touched on, I tried to find a middle gap or a middle ground with, uh, with the products that I was releasing, um, and with the hand drawn 
uh, style that I did fully for the first, uh, maybe first half of my library. Um, for me personally, that takes, I think, less time uh, than what I'm doing now, which is a pivot into, um, I guess you'd call it clean vector based uh, drawings. Yeah. Um, something more corporate or, uh, but the, the hand drawn was fun because it got me off of the computer for a while and um, a little bit more playful and uh, back to, back to something more um, hands on and uh, kind of raw feeling. But those I think can be produced a little bit quicker. And so I was just on kind of on path to put one out, work on another and just get as many out quality that I could to get the library fleshed out because this was full time for us at that point and um, we needed to make it work. So Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well I, I think it'd be worth um, going into some of the process side of things because I'm sure everyone is listening thinking oh this sounds amazing but I'd love to do something like this but um, I know myself I've read a few blogs but I've never actually attempted to uh, create an entire uh, font I've only ever worked on a couple of letters would you mind talking through like the the process that you would uh, run through to create a typeface and some of the tools and stuff that that you would need to use in order to create one? Um, yeah, so going back to our shared thread with the logo side of things, um, like you, uh, I did some logos that were type-based or had a symbol and uh, a word mark component that needed to relate to each other in some form. So it was often just taking an existing typeface and doing modifications to the current letters, just a few of them. Um, and even doing that, I found it to be challenging to make them look right um, and still, you know, not look like they were hacked. Mm -hmm. uh, so that there's a challenge to it um, and quite a bit of effort to, just make it look somewhat natural whenever you modified a letter. Uh, and I think that in itself was a learning experience to figure out playing with the Bezier points and um, curves and everything. And that was usually done in Illustrator. Uh, when I started getting into type design, um, there's dedicated software just for that. And that uh, a lot of people use Glyphs, the Glyphs app or Font Lab, or um, uh, RoboFont. I went with Glyphs. Um, they had a mini version and a good trial and things that you could do. And uh, it seemed the most user-friendly to get into. Um, and they're also a vector-based tool uh, with Bezier points and control points and pen tool and everything else and drawing on a grid system. Um, but their features are a little bit more um, friendly towards letter forms and fitting curves and uh, a little bit more intuitive. So it made drawing easier than Illustrator was for me um, with all the points and curves. The uh, One of the freeing things was feeling like I could do this on paper first and just take out the pencil and draw rough, rough wavy lines and kind of outline them and get a sense of the shape and the proportions. Is it going to be wide? Is it going to be narrow? Um, is it going to be more uh, pinched um, in the curves or is it going to be more uh, very round and um, very much like an oval? Uh, all those sorts of decisions are definitely easier for me in the pencil sketching stage and just doing it quick and loose. I'll usually start with just a few letters. I like starting with the lowercase a uh, because it has um, it has a bowl and it has a stem, a vertical stem, and then it's got where it hooks over into the uh, terminal on the end of it where it connects up towards the bowl and 
you have to decide how big that space is called the aperture between that end of that stroke and how high the bowl is underneath. So all those things like help decide what the rest of the letter forms are going to do and how they might relate. Um, if the bowl is more short and that space in the bowl is more narrow and tight, um, well, then the E is probably going to have a similar, smaller uh, opening um, where it closes up. And th those things help tell the story pretty quick. Um, you can pull an N from that. Uh, a bunch of different letters relate to each other. So you're taking pieces and you're just kind of rebuilding and massaging them until they feel right. Um, I also try and do a quick sketch of maybe the whole lowercase set um, without overthinking it, but just seeing how these naturally feel like they fit together um, as a complete group. Uh, same with the uppercase. And it's just a lot of experiment, a lot of trial and error. Um, and once you kind of get happy with it, some people I think scan it in and take the scanned image into the software and then basically have a very tight drawing and place the points over top of that and then clean up those those vector points. Uh, I kind of stop before I get to that point unless I'm doing a piece of lettering that's very tight. Um, but typically with a font, I'll draw a medium quality, medium finished product um, that I can refer to on paper, but I'm typically not scanning it in and drawing over top of it. I'm just looking back and forth at it and uh usually you'll start with the o and the n in the um, software and those will help again set the proportions and the width um, and you can recycle those pieces of the stem from the n and the curve uh, with the o's and you create all the all so many other letter forms from that um, and that just that just takes time uh I think one of the biggest things that freed me with it was not feeling like I had to go by the grid or feel like I had to follow a mathematic formula. Um, I think one thing I used to get stuck on was feeling like if I moved this Bezier point over this many units, I, if it was a point opposite that, I had to do the exact same thing to that point. So there was perfect symmetry or things made sense mathematically or their numbers were nice and round or um, the coordinates were all lined up perfect. And I think one of the freeing things was what I would hear people say was, if it looks right, it is right. Um, it's not so much if the math is right, but to your eye, does it look right? And if it looks, like, looks right, then it probably is right as far as a readable, usable um, character. And then how does it look in a group of letters when it makes up words? How do they relate to each other? But that helped me loosen up and not feel so rigid. Mm -hmm. um, so it became a lot about learning how to train your eye to look at optically, does this just feel right? Does it look like it works versus is the point and the exact coordinate that it needs to be mathematically or and there's a balance to that you definitely you don't want to be loose with it uh you need to have it look like quality for sure and everything be even and uniform where it needs to be but it frees you up to feel uh feel like you can play a little bit more and and not be so hung up on making it feel like a machine mm, yeah i think that's probably one of the most important things that i got shown a, a good number of years ago by um someone that worked on a lot of typography um, mm -hmm. um because it, the, that same general rule of working op optically applies to logo design as well um i know there's mm -hmm. a number of weird optical illusions involved in typography um you know a couple have come to mind off the top of my head is things like overshoot and uh okay. i can't remember what yeah. it's called uh but you know on like an x uh there's this weird optical illusion that if you do actually have it aligned perfectly 
it doesn't look right you have to have it like slightly off uh, because when you get an angled line and it goes uh, through a solid object it doesn't look like it's quite in the right place and you need to adjust that would, would you mind talking a little bit about some of those yeah. weird optical illusions that you need to consider when working on fonts or even letters individually yeah so the all the optical illusions are like a language almost to where you pick up on them um over time more and you recognize what needs to be adjusted and what looks uh out of place quicker uh and you, you get more comfortable with making those adjustments um like you referenced with the x having those two diagonal strokes crossing i think typically people take that low they cut the left stroke the lower left in half and then kick that section out to the left a little bit and that just makes it look more optically balanced because otherwise it does like you said look like the lines are broken or they're just um something looks out of alignment with them uh, other things are the way a curve section connects into the stem and joins um joins up with it so that might be like with the lowercase n you'll have two vertical parts of the stems um, and the strokes but then where that stroke curves either out of the stem or back into the stem um, when it goes into that tall vertical it's going to look really dense where it joins together because um, you got a lot of i guess visual traffic mm -hmm. i call it um, and so you need to pull in that side where the joint happens away from the stem to just give a little bit more of a white space and a gap um, so that the stroke thins out but it makes it feel uh, more breathable and more um, i guess more balanced yeah. uh yeah and if you just let it go and you're just connecting shapes together that are all the same monoline weight or width they're just going to look dense and uh there's a lot of subtleties that need to be adjusted just to just to let it breathe a little bit and not get um dark too dark feeling actually what that they call it is color uh you want to look and see does your say you're working on a sans serif typeface and it's supposed to be a legible usable design you want to look at a bunch of your characters together and making up words and when you look across those words um, you want it to have an even color and that means there's nothing too dense or dark and there's nothing too thin and light to where it's distracting your eye or feels like a blob or feels like a break um, it's got to be relatively gray or even color visually when you look at it as a whole and that takes uh, adjusting multiple letters in those optical compensations um, the other primary one that you'll run into is horizontal versus vertical strokes and typically a horizontal stroke is going to look even if they're the same unit measurement say it's 20 units uh, on the vertical and then you create a uh, capital h and it's 20 units uh, in size across the horizontal um, you're going to want to thin out that horizontal one by a few units just whatever it is our eyes see the horizontal lines as thicker um, so that'll apply across the board with an o the top and bottom uh, round sections of the o is going to be a little bit narrower than the sides um, and all across the board that that'll have to be applied so a lot of stuff that carries throughout the the uh, font um, and just needs to make it feel feel comfortable and optically correct yeah um a useful exercise i found um when working on uh logo design specifically if i'm creating a new letter because i don't know all of the nuances in every letter in a way that you probably do what i do is i i um, actually 
type the the letters with a a well-designed font and um, study those letters. Like I was really surprised when I studied an A because I always thought that an A was symmetrical, but it's not. (laughs) And, you know, things are not how you would expect them to be. And um, if you was to draw a letter how you would expect it to be, it just doesn't look right. And if you if you was to yeah. study, um, it's, it's easier with a, a logo design because you're just doing a, a few uh, letters, unless it's a long company name, of course. But um, if you're just doing a few letters rather than an entire typeface, it's worth opening up a few uh, similar fonts and studying the characteristics of e- each letter. And it's it's surprising, um, you know, the the tiniest details make such a difference between something looking wrong you know it just doesn't look right to to reading comfortably and um when you're working on a typeface from scratch you have to um, be aware of all of these things yeah you're definitely right i mean there's so many subtle decisions that need to be made by the typeface designer to um, make it look right like you said um and like the case with the a or a V or um, a K, that that downward right stroke is traditionally a little bit thicker than the uh, left side stroke. Um, and if if that's just convention and people have gotten used to it over time, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I've, I know that a lot of this gets based back on calligraphic uh, roots or um, pen nibs, like if you're using a broad pen at an angle, mm-hmm. uh, if you're doing that left side downstroke, it's going to be thinner based on the angle of the, the pen. But when you're taking, you hold that same angle and you take it down uh, from top left to bottom right on the right side stroke of an A, um, it's going to be thicker just based on the shape of the pen and the angle you're holding it at. And so there's a lot of history involved in some of these decisions as well and what people have gotten used to over the years. So I know when I was just sketching letter forms like you, uh, whether it was for a logo or something else, I would make the mistake of getting the balance of weight on the wrong side. So I would make the left side of the A thicker and the right side thinner. And I was like, well, maybe it looks right, but something didn't feel right. And then I would have to just come to a place where I'd realize, oh, I've got this flipped. I mean, now it's, I'm very much aware of it, but when I wasn't doing it all the time, um, and I was just experimenting with letter forms or doing something with the logo, uh, you're just not as tuned into it, but something, like you said, feels off. Um, so with a V, that'd be the flip of it, that left side stroke would be a little bit thicker, going from top left down to the uh, um, bottom and then the right side going from the bottom up towards the upper right would be a little bit thinner so it's it's directional and it's uh like i said it applies with the k um w uh, all sorts of different ones that have those involved so yeah it, it it's a lot of a lot of subtleties and the, the whole other side of it too is with a marketable professional font learning just the diacritic characters or the accent marks um, all those foreign characters that you may not be familiar with i wasn't familiar with Um, some of them you wouldn't use in like for me the english language Um, some of them you might see uh, like the tilde for a a spanish language a tilde with an n Um, you'll see some of those and be familiar with them but there's so many more uh, that need to be drawn and um, grow an understanding of their position and size and what's traditionally acceptable, uh, things like that. And that all is taking time for sure. I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks, who has sponsored this season of the podcast. As creatives, we like to spend our time creating clever ideas that give value to our clients. But a lot of us spend way too much time running our business 
doing things like creating invoices, chasing payments, and logging all of our expenses. And that's actually where FreshBooks can help. It's an accounting software designed specifically for creative professionals like you that's so easy to use, you'll save hours each week on all of the time-consuming admin that you're doing. And that means that you have more time to focus on designing logos and brand identities. Time-saving features in FreshBooks includes creating and sending branded invoices in about 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from your invoices, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when tax time rolls around, you'll also be able to export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks. No credit card required. Just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek and enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now let's get back to the interview. So I know in terms of process, uh, we spoke about using a software like Glyph and uh, drawing each of the letters. I know we can talk about that for, for hours, but I'm conscious of the time and I want to progress with the um, process. I mean, I've never used glyphs before, so I'm not familiar with the uh, process. So once you've drawn all of your letters, what's what's the next part of the process? Because I understand that you need to like look at the letter spacing and kerning and all sorts of stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that is like, the next big thing some people do it while they're drawing the letters the spacing at least not the kerning um they might draw the o and n and a few other key characters and get the spacing on the left and right called the side bearings get those measurements or metrics worked out um you you have to have more than one letter drawn to be able to uh, do that so you can see how they relate to each other side to side um for me personally i tend to draw most of the whole uh, character set and then I'll create um, a uniform spacing so even letters like a V and an O and a H um, capitals might all I might say let's start with 50 units on the left and 50 units on the right and I'll apply that to all of the characters and that just gets me a starting point. Um, but when you type a word that might have those letters in them, you're going to see that some of those need to change. Maybe I'll leave the 50 as the starting point with the H because it has two straight sides. And then I'll tighten up the um, side bearings on the O's uh, by a few units because it's got the rounded sides versus the straight sides and so optically that's uh, going to feel there's going to be more white space around that form so i'll tighten up those side bearings a little bit uh, the v will have its own uh, need for adjustment with the pointed the two pointed sides uh, and then it coming very narrow in the bottom so you have a lot of white space um, so you're gonna have to adjust those side bearings as well and it's kind of looking back and forth typing words um making adjustments as you go along and if it's not 50 you might say it's 100 it all depends on kind of the proportions and what weight value you're working in with the typeface as well um so it could be more it could be less but you kind of find a standard starting point and then adjust from there uh, one nice thing with glyphs too is it has a bunch of scripts and the others do as well but the scripts will make some of this easier in that they might open up a single character like an H and put it next to a bunch of repeating characters like a bunch more H's and a bunch of O's. And so you can see them all together and just work out the spacing that way. And things like that help. And you just step by step move through each character. You can also set groups to where an O might share uh, the same basic form as the left side of a lowercase d. So the lowercase o and the lowercase d or the lowercase c on the left side, those all are going to be similar in shape and the space that they take up. So with these programs, you can group those 
those metrics or those side bearing uh, fields together. And once you change one, it applies to all the rest. So that can be populated throughout the whole uh, character set. And that makes things um, quite a bit quicker. And then that also, once you've got spacing marked out, then you get into kerning to just resolve any uh, problem areas. And spacing and kerning on their own, I mean, it may take you just as long to space and kern a typeface as it does to draw a typeface. Um, some people are quicker one way or the other, but on its own, it's a it's another kind of skill set and something very involved and very tedious in a lot of ways. And you just you just have to work it work it out piece by piece. Um, but creating those groups and those pairs to where they have shared um, values or shared uh, shapes um, that speeds it up. And then from there, it's it's a whole on. Then it's producing the font and getting down into the marketing things. Um, but that's those are the kind of big components with the drawing and getting the font to look right. So once you've done all of that work with glyphs, do you simply save it and you have a font? Is that how it works? Yeah, um, almost, which is nice about, again, these programs. Um, all the makers of these different ones uh, have just are very knowledgeable, have done a great job. Uh, with listening to user feedback and just giving me tools that uh, try and make the process as easy as possible. Um, but it is time consuming. And one of the big hurdles I had was not just learning to draw um, better and work out all the spacing and kerning, but it was the technical side of um, open type features and vertical met, what they call vertical metrics, where in different programs like the Adobe programs versus the Microsoft programs, uh, they might render the font and the spacing um, a little bit different. Or um, so you have different fields that you have to input values into uh, to just make it work properly. Um, it comes down to naming uh, conventions as well because there's certain um, rules you have to follow with character length and um, how things display in the different programs. So all of those those items were a challenge on their own trying to understand. And that's why I had to lean on um, people like Ryan and uh, Laura that I mentioned earlier uh, to help me figure out what was I doing wrong and why was my font cut off? Like why were some of the accent and characters cut off in Word? Uh, the word program. Um, so once you get all that figured out too, then you have to decide also if you want open type features like ligatures or swashes. Um, and some people are very savvy and, and code and technical oriented and they pick up on that very quick. Um, and again, you don't really have to write code. You can with all this, but there's a lot of pre pre-created fields that you just basically fill values into um, based on your drawing uh, and it'll generate the feature for you, whether it's a swash or something like that or a stylistic alternate A. And that that gives you more interest and more you can do with the fonts. But you have to decide where the cutoff is there. And basically once all that's done and you got name your name figured out, which it's difficult nowadays too because there's so many names, there's so many fonts, uh, so many free fonts and free font websites that have used a name that you were hoping you'd be able to use and then you find out it's taken and you have to start over with the name search. And um, so all, once you get through all those layers and you figure it out, then it basically is just saying export. And uh, you can choose if it's open type or if it's true type or if it's a web font format. Um, exported into the Adobe fonts folder for testing in the Adobe programs. See how it looks, print it out. You'll probably want to do that along the way as well. Um, and once you keep going along, uh, making your tweaks and adjustments back in the, the font software, um, give it a final name and hit export again and um, install it in your system and, and uh, 
you kind of have a working, ready-to-go font. Um, obviously, there's probably more to it than that, but that's it in a nutshell. And uh, one of the other things, too, is when you're doing the testing phase, the name itself of the font, um, if you're testing it in the Adobe Fonts folder, you can run into type cache issues or um, cache issues on the computer. So if you've made a change, it might uh, not read that you've made that change if you've left the uh, font name or the file name the same that you're exporting. So you're going to want to name it something like font name test A, font name test B, C, and so on as you make changes to versions as you go along. That's yeah, a good piece of advice. <laughs> okay, so I guess once you tested it a few times, you have a finished typeface that you could roll with. I don't know if this is a big topic that could uh, take a while because I'm conscious of time, yeah. but I understand once you've got a finished typeface, you would then want to start selling it. Would you mind going into briefly how you would go about like licensing and, and selling that font once you've finished it? Yeah, so um, there's a few different ways to go about it. And yeah, briefly, it would be either you set up your own shop online in your own website and you can sell it there. Um, I didn't take that route at first because there's just more to figure out. And it's such a dense market that it's hard to, hard to get exposure, I think. Um, at least it was for me. So I opted to go with the popular um, font resellers online, like MyFonts and FontSpring and um, a bunch of the others. You work for them and Creative Market and um, Adobe and different ones. And there's a process to, you know, you're uh, getting involved and making sure that you have a quality product and um, everything else. And the benefit that you have uh, with selling with already established shops is they have the traffic and the audience already there. Um, but there's also multiple other people who are selling and releasing new fonts each day. And so it's, it's, a it's kind of a give and take, um, to where you have to make something that you hope is marketable and is going to stand out, uh, amongst the sea of, of new releases that are continually coming. Um, whereas, and you, 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 obviously there's a sharing model of, of, um, uh, of splitting revenue and profits and things and, uh, with, with that approach, but then if, with your own web shop, um, you get the full value for it. If, if you make a sale or a license purchase, um, but there's more maintenance, more troubleshooting to do and things like that. So you have to decide how much of it is worth it. Um, I think it's hard to, to do it on your own without getting into a reseller um, at the start. So I think it, it sounds a little bit like um, a, a business. Like once you've created the, um, the actual font, you need to come up with a name for it and then you need to start finding a way to sell it so i've i've looked into doing t-shirts in the past and it sounds exactly the same so you can either take the route yeah. of doing it yourself and selling it through your own website but then you need to um you know deal with all the orders when they come in and deal with the printing and everything you know all of the mm. uh, maintenance terms and conditions customer service everything that goes along with that but when you go through one of these resellers yeah. they do all of that for you but you know it's their platform so they're going to take a um a slice of the pie but like like you said they have yeah. the audience already um that's where a lot of people are looking for uh fonts anyway so it it i think it makes sense to do that even if you are really established um it would be a missed yeah. opportunity yeah. to 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 not do that really yeah yeah and you're right. I mean, it is, is a fairly common model with, you know, if you're, you're an author and you're selling books and you might uh, work with Amazon or whoever else. And so, yeah, you, you benefit each other in the sense of someone is providing the content or the product and the other person is providing the technical support and the audience. And, and so you're, you're sharing 
uh, all of that. And, um, but it, it, for me, it made things easier with, as you mentioned, the licensing side and terms and conditions. And that was a whole nother field to figure out. It's like, how, am I legal? Am I doing this right? Is, am I going to get in trouble if I don't have this wording the exact right way in the end user license agreement? Um, but when you sell with a reseller, they typically have a standard one that you can use. And, uh, and you can kind of learn from that. And, um, so for me, it's been, I do both now where I'm selling with resellers and, uh, I don't sell directly through my website. Like you can check out from my website, but you can go and look at my products and I'll link to the resellers. But I'll also note, uh, if you have custom licensing needs, um, whether it be for something with more use, like a really big user amount or a more unique, um, software situation, uh, that's not typically, may not typically be covered. Um, or you just have questions, then I welcome people, uh, to reach out to me and, and I'm happy to work directly together and, and we work through it back and forth, um, and work through the, uh, license agreement. Um, if those have custom requests and needs there as well. So it, that just takes time. Uh, and I had to again ask questions in places like, um, type drawers is a forum and the glyphs app forum or the font lab forum. Um, all those places you can just ask a lot of questions and there are a lot of really experienced, um, people and professionals who are very generous with their time and resources to help you, um, get your questions answered, whether it's things with business or licensing or just drawing quality, um, or resources, whatever it is. Uh, I've leaned on those, those type of places a lot and they've, they've helped me get over humps and get into new, new, um, new opportunities, I guess you'd say to where in the beginning I was like, I don't know about all this end user license stuff. I don't want to mess with it because of fear of it being too complicated or what if something breaks and I get in trouble or, or whatever it could be. And some of it can be irrational, but you're just like, everything's new and you're, you've got a lot that you're learning. Um, the places like that helped answer my questions and uh, help piece by piece um, get more comfortable with that. And now I'm happy to work with clients for um, making modifications to fonts or licensing that might have a, um, a unique need. And, uh, and we can work through that just one-on-one -on -one together. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this has been a really good introduction for anyone interested in working on their own uh, font or typeface. I mean, obviously there are a few articles online, but they are quite vague. And I think this has been a lot more um, in depth and, and someone could actually listen to this and mm. um, start working on their own. And I think the the forum that you mentioned is a... Um, uh, going to be really helpful for a lot of people. Just before I do wrap up the yeah. interview, are there any books that you would uh, recommend that people read how, when they create a font? Like, has there been any books that you've um, learned from or referenced, or has there been a another approach for you um, in terms of learning at the very beginning? Yeah, um, like you uh, reiterated with the forums um, that were mentioned, those are great and they're kind of living in the sense of people are contributing and posting things regularly to them. Um, so just reading through those, typing in to the search field questions that you have and seeing if someone's already discussed it, um, were all really helpful. As far as books, I honestly haven't read through, like sat down and read a bunch of type books, but I've had them um, referred to me before. And one of those that I bought and it thumbed through, but not gone through thoroughly has been, um, something called type tricks by Sophie Beyer, I believe it is. And forgive me if I mispronounce the name a little bit, but it's called type tricks. It's a little, little handy reference guide that addresses a lot of things with drawing quality and, um, 
with some of the fundamentals. Um, I think another one is called a uh, designing type by Karen Chang. Again, I hope I got the name right, but designing type. Uh, so they just go through fundamentals and some of the how to look for uh, certain uh, optical corrections and things that we discussed earlier. And that'll give something on paper that you can, can reference and read through. And then also, uh, which you mentioned earlier, Ian, with um, looking at existing fonts and studying them. Uh, I did that a ton as well, and that helped me a whole lot in either seeing them printed out or actually taking the OTF file or the TrueType file and dragging it into the uh, Glyphs app software and inspecting like where people put the Bezier points. Definitely not, you don't, don't want to copy, but you can learn from, learn from those, uh, how people approach the drawing and how they place things where they did and um, curves. So inspecting the fonts, good quality fonts um, has been key as well. And one of the things too people do is with as far as font quality is drawing at extremes and you'll be able to find that more online or in these books, but there's certain optimal places that you want to put your um, vector points either on the horizontal or the vertical extremes uh, of the path. And that'll give you typically a better drawing quality. Sometimes you have to break those rules, but some of those books will go into things like that and uh, give you tips to get started. Amazing. A couple of those books I haven't heard of, but like with anything, I think type design is uh, such a specialist thing that you kind of just need to jump in and start drawing letters, studying letters. Yeah um yes you can read about it but ultimately you're only really going to start learning when you start really studying and and creating letters um so adam this has been amazing i think for anyone interested in type design or you know anyone that wants to start moving into the area or even creating a, a, a few letters will have found this useful um so thank you so much for coming on um it's been great to chat with you and i look forward to rolling this one out yeah no i really appreciate it ian i appreciate you reaching out and just some of the common uh, bond that we shared with logos and enjoying the the art and design of logos and then how that's evolved for me over the years um it's been enjoyable uh challenging for sure as well and it was a journey i honestly didn't expect to take fully but um i think if you're passionate about it it's something that's worth the time and it's got its challenges along the way for sure. Um, I know with us, I mean, our family is a family of faith and though we had difficulties and we had stretches where we were like, is this going to work? Is it not? Um, we were taken care of and, you know, I had, as I mentioned, some successes in the beginning and then I was putting more fonts out and they weren't selling as well. And you kind of second guess yourself. And you think, I just spent the last few weeks to few months on this, and it's not really bringing much income. But there's a risk to anything, and it's worth it um, if you feel led to it and and uh, passionate about it again. Um, you just kind of have to take that step of faith sometimes and, and push forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I think your story is really inspiring. Um... And uh, yeah, I'm just really thankful and happy for you that everything worked out well in the end. And I hope, um, you know, the fonts keep selling well. And, you know, for for you, fingers crossed, it's an ongoing passive income for the rest of your life. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks, Ian. I hope hope it is a help to other people and people can feel free to reach out if they'd like to learn more, have questions and things like that too. I know it's, especially when you're one person, uh, and you're not with a team and you're just working from home, it can feel pretty isolating. Uh, so it helps to reach out. If you've enjoyed this interview, let both myself and Adam know by giving us a shout out on social media. Hopefully it's inspired you to work on a typeface of your own. So if that's you, please let us know. We always love to hear from people that have listened. 
If you want to check out Adam's fonts and learn more about him, head to lad-design.com. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode at logogeek.uk forward slash 6.3, where you'll also find links to any books and resources mentioned, as well as a full transcription too. Again, you can find the show notes at logogeek.uk forward slash 6.3. If you're keen to discuss this episode with me and other designers from around the world, make sure that you join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. We now have over 7,000 uh, members who are all designers um, so if you're not already in there make sure that you join it's totally free to be part of it and to find that just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community making sure to answer the questions so that is it for this week but i will see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the logo geek podcast <laughs>